Welcome to a Frugal Athlete Podcast, where we interview athletes, both current and former, on the prudent financial practices and smart career decisions they are making. In these episodes, we dive into what it means to be a frugal athlete. You might think that frugal just means being cheap, but as you will soon learn, being frugal is more complex than that. I'm your host, Amobi Okugo. In this episode, we have Dr. Natasha Bryson. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to come out right and say this was probably one of my favorite podcasts that I did all of 2020. Um, Dr. Natasha Bryson is, you know, such a smart lady, um, has had an excellent career. Um, if you check her resume, she's more than qualified. Um, she's an entrepreneur, she's a lawyer, she's a doctor, every degree that you can think of she has, every dissertation, book, like she's done it all. Um, so I was just like, literally, I had my notebook in my hand while the podcast was, podcast was on, just writing notes, note taking, note taking. Um, so I'm excited for you guys to listen because, you know, we talked, we touched on a lot of different topics, um, namely, you know, how athletes can master, um, building a business, but also protecting themselves at the same time, you know, especially the collegiate athletes at this time, how, what they can look out for, how they can protect their license, their likeness, um, image, all that. So make sure you guys tune in. Um, I suggest you, you know, you sit down for this one, um, share with a friend, do what all you got to do and, uh, tune in. I am so happy to have this guest on. How are you doing, Dr. Natasha Bryson? It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, we got to, we had the pleasure to connect a couple uh, months ago, and ever since then, you know, you've been a good friend. So, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to to be a part of your broadcast, and so this is actually going to be a, a really great opportunity for me to share some of the things that I put into practice with some of my own clients and even in my classrooms. No, that's really important. And, you know, you talk about what you're putting into practice. Um, I was doing some research and we have to talk about it right from the jump. You have like 800 degrees, <laughs> 10 publications. So, you know, your credentials speak for itself. So can you talk about, you know, your value of education and like how you kind of got to where you are today? Yeah, it's, I think I've always had a, a value of education. Even when I started undergrad, I double majored and minored. And most people go to college and they get one bachelor's degree. And I decided I wanted two. And really the, I guess the idea behind that was I wanted to go to law school and I have a bachelor's in English and a bachelor's in communication. And I figured having both of those would give me a nice command of the English language and really prepare me for law school. So I double majored English and communications with a minor in Spanish. And the only reason, and I'm going to share this, the reason I did the minor was because I lived in Spain for two years mm -hmm. and I figured it would be an easy A. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you got to get those, you know? <laughs> hey, sometimes you got to go with what you know. And, exactly. and so and that's after undergraduate, um, my undergraduate degrees at Florida State. I went on to the University of Georgia and got a law degree. Always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. And so that was the initial part of my journey. But when I was going through law school and the curriculum of law school, I knew I wanted to work in sport, but I really didn't understand the business of sport. So I went and got the master's in sport administration. So I just went, kept going through school <laughs> to really get the foundation I felt like I needed to be the best version of myself. Oh, that's what it's all about. And you see people today, they're trying to find different ways to get into sports sports right. business, all that. Um, what advice would you have for them? Because you kind of did it the old school route. You know, you did it the, right. you know, through education. 
Now people are trying to find unique ways. I don't want to say taking the shortcut, but they're trying to find alternative routes rather than, um, you know, doing the school thing. I think really when it comes to the sport industry, you need a combination of both. So after I finished the master's, I went into working in the industry. So I was hired as assistant legal counsel for USA Track and Field. And so I really took a very practitioner approach to getting as much experience as I could in the industry. I didn't go back to the PhD until I had been out of school for 10 years. So I really value that nice combination of learning the business and learning as many facets of the business as possible. And I mean, really, it's there's so many things you can do in the sport industry and experience still is so important. And so often people think, oh, I'm just going to get the degree and I'm going to be great. I'm going to get the job of my dreams. But that experience is so important that, you know, you have to figure out a way to have that nice balance. And a lot of sport management programs require internships now. You can do practicums, which are very similar to field experiences. And I think people need to take advantage of those. So if you take the education route, really take advantage of the opportunities that you have while you're in school. And what's so interesting is when you're networking, and creating those relationships with industry with industry and, and even practitioners. They're so open to talking to students because of the student label. And the minute that you graduate, it's not as easy to say, hey, Mr. or Ms. Executive, can I talk to you about your journey to how you got to where you are? And, and that's just the simplest form of being able to build your network. And I think so many students forget that having that student label can open so many doors for them that they 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 really just have to take advantage of it uh, that's really important that you said that because uh another gentleman uh darren roberts and we had him on a podcast way back he said the best thing you can have as a student athlete or student for that matter is the dot edu email oh and absolutely it's unbelievable i was really thinking i was like wait why and like you said you know because in your current moment as a student, people are more willing to help you. People are more willing to connect with you. And you got, you got to be able to leverage that. Absolutely. So can you talk about what you do now? Um, the jobs that you do are endless, but what are you currently doing now? So I'm currently working as a tenure track assistant professor. And my dominant, I guess, dominant role is a mix of teaching and research. Mm -hmm. And so on the teaching side, I teach a sales course which is one of my favorites. And so it's very hands-on. I work with a partnership with the San Antonio Spurs. And so my students are getting very hands-on experience. Uh, when the, prior to the pandemic, I actually had them make cold calls. And so they got experience in the classroom and it was a safe space because, you know, once you get out in the world, you're afraid, okay, well, I'm not going to be do well at this job, but I create an environment in my classroom where the students can learn valuable skills that are transferable, whether they're in sport or any other industry. And so they, they learn the basic fundamentals of sales, why sales is important, handling objections, how to close the sale. And so then in my graduate class, the focus is on sponsorship for the second half of the semester. And kind of the same thing. How do you research a potential new partner? How do you identify what the needs of that partner are? And then how do you use the partnership or sponsorship to fulfill that need? 
And so I love this class. It's it's one of my favorites that I've been teaching for, oh gosh, uh, definitely over a decade. It, and so it's been about 12 years since I first started the course and, and it's still one of my favorites. Um, I also teach marketing and, but it, it, sometimes it doesn't rotate, go into the rotation of, of my schedule. So, mm-hmm. but the sales one is, is my baby. And, and I, I love preparing students for the industry with having that kind of background. So on the other side <laughs> is my research, which is essentially 50% of, of my, my job requirement, so to speak. And so that research is focused on under the big picture umbrella of brand management. And then I've started to segment it to solely focus on athlete branding. And so prior to getting into academia, I worked with athletes. I thought I wanted to be an agent, and that's a whole nother conversation we'll have on another day. I feel day. like we can have a separate podcast for that. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so that was really where my focus was. And and so um, in talking with clients about just opportunities and, and some of the challenges they faced in trying to, to build their brand and even to monetize what they built on the field, it, it just, there were some things that I was intrigued by. And so the first foray, in, foray into research that I had um, from, from putting back my legal hat on, I was so curious about um, partnerships with brands, with products and services that the athlete chooses to work with. And so in working with some of my clients, they're like, oh, I want to work with this company. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's a good fit for you. And, and so, because there were just some things about the product that I wasn't convinced on and that it was mm-hmm. going to be the right fit for this particular client I was talking to. So the first publication I worked on was looking at false advertising and potential athlete um, endorser liability. So I kind of zeroed in, I don't know if you remember these, those power balance bracelets. Yeah. And, yeah, and so there was a lot of hype around those bracelets. And at the end of the day, the company came out and said there was no scientific evidence to back to support the claims they were making on the bracelets. And so I started thinking about this from a consumer perspective of here's your favorite athlete promoting this product that essentially is worthless. And what does that do to the athlete from a brand management perspective and also from a legal perspective? And so that was kind of the first kind of investigation I had with the research and seeing what that potential liability could be from the court systems. So both on the federal and state level and and only just scratching the surface of what that meant for the athlete's brand and and losing consumer trust. So then from there. (laughs) Yeah, I have my notebook. I I was already prepared. I have my notebook. I already knew ahead of time. I said, I got to be prepared because she's a professor. She's a doctor. I already know I'm going to get so many gems and the audience is going to get so many gems. So I'm just, you could talk all day. I'm listening. Thank you. So I have these two hats. I have this legal hat that, that I have. And then there's this hat that is the PhD. So I'm looking at things through what I call really a multifaceted lens. And, and sometimes it's that legal cap. And then sometimes it's the consumer behavior and brand management side. And then on really good days, I get to blend the two of those. And so it makes me so excited when I can, can blend the two, but I'm equally passionate about both of them. And so 
I guess I can talk a little bit about the um, on the consumer behavior side and, and the brand management perspective of the athlete branding. And so I had a colleague bring me on to a project that was focused on branding of female athletes. Mm-hmm. And in working on this project, there were just so many interesting nuances regarding the female athlete brand that were diff- that had just had different types of challenges and opportunities than for every other athlete. And so in working on this project, we found that there were um, barriers to education, and this actually works for both male and female um, athlete brands, that the education just isn't there about what a brand is and really understanding how that all fits together when you add that to an individual. And so I remember talking to a group of um, female athletes that were, I guess their ages, they were high school age. And I asked them what a brand was and they could put it in the context of a product. And so then when I asked them, do you see yourself as a brand? They were like, no. And the response was because I'm not a product. Or, and so I was like, wow, that to not put the connection together that humans can also be brands, it really started me to think about, okay, this is an area that needs more exploration and more research and investigation. And so then I just started <laughs> pulling at different segments of looking at high school athletes and looking at coaches of branding themselves as well. And so some of the issues I ran into with the high school athlete population is these are minors. And so it's harder to get information from minors. You got to get parental approval and then you got the approval from the minors. And so there was a huge disconnect. And so I said, well, you know what? If you're a student athlete, who are you around a lot? Well, you're a coach. Go figure, Mm -hmm. right? So I said, well, what if I can develop a program to help brand, help teach coaches about branding? And then in turn, if they can understand it and build their own brands to be able to pass that information on to their student athletes. And so even from a high school coach's perspective, I started working with the coaching academy to be able to put together a program that would be able to do that. And, and so we're still working on that program. And hopefully next spring, I'll get a chance to go ahead and, and deliver that content to them and create the learning module. But there are just so many nuances to this that, that really just fascinates me. And so then um, some of the clients I work with are retired. And so I was curious about the retired athlete brand. And, and is it different from the current athlete? And to make a long story short, it, it absolutely is. And there's so many other things to consider that if you don't leverage your brand equity while you're playing or while you're in your career as an athlete, you won't have anything post-career. And so this concept of, of, of brand and monetizing your brand, it needs to start as early as possible. And so, I mean, you know, if you go up to a 14 year old right now and say, oh, you see yourself as a brand. Yeah. I told you, they say, no, it's, that's mm-hmm. just not who I am. So if we can educate these athletes as young as early as possible, I think that's probably where we need to start. Teach them about branding, what's involved in building and managing a brand. So they really understand that in its most simplest form, it's who you are and how others perceive you. And if you can put that into words, then 
you know, people can easily say, well, I know what a Moby stands for. I know what his brand is. And it makes it so easy to communicate that because people see that as, oh, it's your true self. It's the authentic version of who a Moby is. And it's consistent in everything he does. And if we can teach athletes to be able to do that as early as possible, I think that's where the strength is in monetizing the brand. So first starting with that aspect of it. What is a brand? Recognize that they are a brand. People are brands. And then once they understand that, being able to communicate it. And and social media is so phenomenal. It's, I mean, I guess 10 years ago, even 20 years ago, this it, it just didn't exist at the level that we see. And, and there's so many opportunities to communicate who you are to that audience that, you know, so often people tend to not take advantage of it. Right. And, and it's just, you know, they, they get an account and they're like, okay, if, if I build it, they will come. And, you know, building a brand actually takes work. It's not just, let me start a social media page and I'm good. I've checked the box. That's all I need to do. Um, other things I can think of, um, even if you start to recognize you are a brand, there still mm-hmm. is a performance aspect. So you have to be good at what you do. <laughs> so, oh, cool. and, and so even if you're thinking about monetizing and working with corporations, no corporation wants to work with the worst athlete on the yeah, team. Everyone loves a winner. <laughs> Everybody loves a winner. And so you have to excel at what you're doing on the field. And I have to add a caveat to that. You have to also excel at what you're doing off the field. So whether it's in how you interact with the media, how you interact with your fans, um, social media can blend those two worlds for you, both on field and off the field. Um, other things that you're passionate about. So, I mean, social act, social justice and activism is so popular right now, and and it's on everyone's minds. It's at the forefront of everything that we're doing. And if that's something that you stand for, use the platform to share that. But what's also important, and I go back to the authenticity of the brand. If that's who you are and it's who you've always been, your fans are going to support you because they understand that that's your passion. But if you've never communicated that to your fans and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, social justice. Like, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Where is this coming from? Yeah. Is this, is this a bandwagon thing because you think you're, you're missing, missing out on something? And, and I think that fear of missing out sometimes gets so <laughs> ingrained in some of us that we forget that at the end of the day, be who you are and your fans will respect that. And the companies you're partnered with, they'll respect it as well. Um, other things I can think of. So I always laugh at this. Well, I kind of laugh at myself. And, and, and that's one of the things my husband always jokes about. He's like, you'll, you'll laugh at yourself a lot. Well, I was like, absolutely. Yeah. Because, <laughs> hey, it's who I am. But um, I always think about the concept of people say, hey, I want to partner with this corporation. And, and, I, and I hesitate to say, well, I don't know if you really want to do it. And so I, I always tell clients, I was like, not all money is good money. Mm-hmm. So, and not all partners are good partners. So you have to be able to vet these companies. And probably one of the first things is get to know the company, get to know what they stand for. And does it align with your own missions and objectives as an individual? Because if that doesn't fit, then it's not a good fit with regards to an endorsement. 
So um, what's the first question that you ask like a partner when they're trying to connect with an athlete? Ask them why. Mm-hmm. Why do they want to connect with them? And and so if they don't have a good answer, yeah. it's like, well, I don't I don't know if you really understand who the athlete is. And so ask them why they want to partner. Ask them, do they know about other initiatives that the athlete is involved with? Um, Because at the end of the day, there has to be synergy between both the athlete and the company and the company and the athlete. And if the company really doesn't, at its core, doesn't share the same mission and values as the athlete, then they're constantly going to bump heads. And you got to think about companies that are, and I'm using social justices as one of those examples. There are companies where that is part of who they are, that they consistently are supporting the efforts that, whether it's Black Lives Matter or if it's environmental justice, that those are things that they've consistently stood for. And at the same time, to understand where the athlete falls on those things, I think is important. because that that package, it just has to fit and, and there has to be congruence. And so if that company doesn't support the things that the athlete is passionate about, then it's never going to be a good partnership. And so you got to think, um, for example, um, Allison Felix's partnership with Athleta, that with her, you know, there was a huge controversy regarding her pregnancy and, and her endorsement with Nike. Yeah. And, and so she parted ways with them. And, and, it, and now, of course, Nike is making some shifts in their culture. And, and they've actually started a line geared towards um, a whole maternity line. Yeah. But it wasn't until Allison brought that issue to light that it was, like, oh, wait a minute, we need to reevaluate our culture. And, and it's like, we're, we're, we're promoting that we stand for these things, but we dropped the ball on this one thing. Whereas Athleta was like, hey, we understand. And, and we want to partner with you because we actually empathize with who you are as an athlete. And we want to help you have a platform for what you do. And so one of the biggest things you'll see is that um, on their page, they're promoting her as a mother, as an activist, and then as an athlete. And then as an athlete, yeah. Yeah, and so, and that's what I'm talking about with regards to understanding who you are as a brand and, and what's important to you and that message that's consistent. And for Allison, it's so great because that message is resonating with her audience. It's resonating mm-hmm. with the consumers for Athleta to where they're saying, yes, we support you and we're going to do what we can to continue to support you. No, thank you so much. There's a lot to unpack there. I, I, I know. Really, <laughs> I really feel like I could just take that, 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 that clip and just keep it, keep it on its own. But I want to touch on you know, a couple of things that you said. You said branding, uh, you have to start early. So I almost liken branding to investing. You know, the earlier yes. you start, the better you are off for it, correct? Absolutely. And but, but I think you still have to take the right approach. I mean, uh-huh. and, and what I mean by that is that this journey of, of being a brand, and I'm going to call it a journey because there, there's a process to it and your brand can evolve over the life of your career and morph into something else. And then the process starts all over again. That's so true. while you're an athlete, there, are, there could be certain nuances that are just the focus of what you do. 
and then let's say you retire and then there's still some core values that are you at heart but there may be new circumstances that your fans are changing with you that you're now a parent that in you are tired and everything kind of hurts a little bit so now you're endorsing products to help with like ice i love icy hot <laughs> Yeah, and, I live so, yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and that's what I mean by it can evolve. But I think that first starting out with the investment aspect of it, of, of putting the time in, and, and that's not just from the package of, of, of the context of what you are, but seeing the brand as a business. So, mm -hmm. so often you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm a brand. That's who I am. But when you start to think about it as a business, it changes your whole mindset because immediately you're thinking, well, wait a minute. If this is a business, then I have to do the things that businesses do. So that includes formally making it a business. So filing the proper paperwork. After that, you got to think that there are going to be contracts. So you have to say, okay, well, wait a minute. That means also I'm going to need a lawyer because these contracts are going to be an important part of building and managing my brand. And, and I, I think probably the most frustrating things I, I hear are, well, my lawyer is going to take care of that for me. And, and as a lawyer, I like to educate my clients. So I require them all to read each and every contract. And we'll go through it. And I asked them, you said what? Read the fine print. Yes. And if there's a part of the contract you don't understand, then ask me to explain it to you. And and you have to see, and I was like, this this brand process, it's it's a business at its core. And you have to treat it as that, formalize it, dot the I's, cross the T's. And even when you're thinking about elements of who you are. That's, you know, trademarks and copyright. And, and if you have a slogan or a catchphrase associated yeah. with who you are, you have to protect those marks. And, and it's and on so many different levels. And so some of the other things I'm, I research are related to international protections for trademarks. And, and what happens when you have an international squatter on your trademark and what do you do to protect that mark? And probably one of the most fascinating cases I've seen was Michael Jordan and him protecting his brand in China. And he literally was in about an eight year battle to protect his own name in China because a company decided to use, it's called a transliteration. So it's the phonetic sound of his name, which is Chowdon, which you like Jordan, Chowdon. Okay, I can kind of get it. Yeah. And so they registered this Chowdon mark and they were capitalizing on it for years. And so he filed, he filed, of course, filed a lawsuit to protect it. He lost the first lawsuit but he kept going to kind of follow this process. Mm -hmm. And I think it was around, it was either early 2000 or late sometime in 2019 that he finally got all of those protections. Um, but it just was one of those things that not thinking about the international aspect of a mark or brand, and it's kind of being an afterthought to this business of a brand that really became a costly uh, process for him in order to protect it. And so when we say start early and in investing in it, there's so many nuances that whether it's just developing who you are and communicating it, and then of course, leveraging that brand equity and value 
you still have to protect it. I mean, even, um, of course, I, I have to say I'm here at Texas A&M and Johnny football was huge. Yeah. And, and even protecting just the, the idea of Johnny football became a challenge. And, and there were several lawsuits associated with him being able to protect just that, that slogan of who he was and how it's associated with his brand. And so there's so many things that um, athletes have to consider. And even when you think about these contracts, and I always tell my clients, uh, identify what you want. Yeah. Like before you even go into the deal or, or, or you hear what they're offering, have a list of the things that you want to get out of that deal and then prioritize them. Put the things that you must have and then kind of go down the list and say, okay, well, I'm willing to let these things go because they're not as important to me. And so if it's as simple as I must have green M&Ms on every photo shoot, <laughs> the poor intern has to pick out only the green ones, oh, you yeah. know, if that's important to you and it's a priority, make sure it's in your contract. And, and I mean, that's, that's just even just the simple things in life, even whether it's an employment contractor, you know, if it's an everyday person getting their first job and they get their little contract and they're like, what's important to you? And, and make sure that the company understands what those priorities are. No, thank you so much. I think what's uh, important takeaway from listening to you is that I know I don't want the audience to get overwhelmed, but this <laughs> is how complex athlete branding yeah. and it's yep. only going to continue to grow especially with something that you're familiar with, NIL, yeah. image and likeness. You mentioned earlier, you know, some of the requirements as an athlete when it comes to, you know, when you're endorsing a product or you're endorsing uh, equipment or a brand and the, va the value of being authentic. And you mentioned power balance. And, you know, one that comes to mind is Lance Armstrong and the Livestrong oh, race. Yeah. Um, how can athletes, especially as they start to endorse products at a younger age, um, you know, that, that mindset, it's like, I just want to get anything that comes my way, right. like all money isn't good money, but what are some things to help them navigate, you know, some of the FTC requirements? So the, the first thing, and, and probably, and it's, <laughs> it's, it sounds simple, but do you like the product? Is mm -hmm. it something that you normally use? And, and so I think in, in, with regards to the federal trade commission and their requirements, with any endorsement testimonial, you have to, it has to be the honest and true opinion of the athlete. So the moment that you stop liking a product, the company you're partnered with, as soon as it's made public knowledge, they can no longer use the advertisements. Wow. So, so I'll give you an example. There was a tennis player and, and the name escapes me right now, but she signed an endorsement deal with a dumb sneaker company the sneakers ended up being horrible for her. Like whenever she had a game in them and she used them, they created blisters. Oh. And, oh, and so, and, and so, and, and of course, you know, your feet hurting and having problems with it, it's, it's not a good thing, but she had this partnership for, and they were like, Hey, you're going to wear our shoes in competition, but they were the worst product for her. And she had already signed this deal. And so she started saying, okay, no, I'm not going to wear the prop. I, I can't wear these shoes. They're, yeah. they're horrible for me in competition. And then of course it was, it became publicly known that she hated the shoes. And so the company actually sued her 
for this. She ended up winning after, well, I guess they probably settled. Um, but the fact that you got to try these products out before you sign on the dotted line. Yeah. Make sure you really like them. And then the other thing is you don't want to become that person that will sign every deal. Because then what happens is as a fan, if I see you are endorsing every product left and right, I'm going to start to think that you're not being genuine about the products. And essentially all you are is about the money. And I'm not going to trust anything that you say about a product. And the moment that trust is broken, brands no longer will want to use you because they're not selling their products. I mean, at the end of the day, they're, they're using the athlete's name and likeness and image to sell a product or service. And if that can no longer happen, then the relationship needs to end. And, and so when you think about these products, really think about the fact of how they can help you both in life or whether it's on the court or off the court or on the pitch, whatever sport you're in, to be able to find products that make sense. And, and not just pick up everything that comes along. It, it all has to make sense. So technically, by trying to increase your value, trying to do all these deals, you essentially actually lower it. Absolutely. That's interesting. That's, that's important because yep. you're, you're wearing yourself too thin and you're yep. kind of getting redundant amongst your fan base. Yep. Yeah, that's really, that's, that's, a, great, that's a great piece of advice. Um, because when you think about it, and it kind of leads me to my next point, not every athlete is going to be making, you know, money from their salary. So they're looking Absolutely. for off the field endorsements yep. in your line of work. What is your, obviously this is a disclaimer, people meet with their financial teams, but yes. you help athletes make money off the field to supplement their income. Yes. So what advice do you have for them? And it comes to, you know, being smart about their money, um, different things like that. Um. Probably, well, I guess there's there's regular money advice in general that, that I like and, and just in good practice to just be smart about your money. I mean, when you're playing, that that money, it's not going to last forever. And, and so the endorsements are there for you to leverage that brand equity that I mentioned before. And, and in some cases, there are athletes who are making more in endorsements than they are in their actual contract. And, and they've done that because they've, they've done the things that I've talked about before about positioning their brand and communicating that message and being authentic, that people want to partner with them. And so when that money comes, it's, it's almost like you have to think about it. It's so interesting because an athlete, with regards to an athlete's career, your career may be over, let's say late to, late to late 30s or so, depending on the sport. Retirement for a normal individual is in the 60s. So you got a 30-year gap of what am I going to do after I stop playing? So being smart with that money is so important. And, and I used to guest lecture for um, sport teams at, at one of my other institutions. And I would go in and I would do a finance lecture. And so one of the first things I would put up is, okay, let's imagine, let's use the NFL as an example. And the student's like, okay, we're going football. All right, yeah. But, and I put up a spreadsheet that showed, okay, so let's say you get a signing bonus. And I'm like, and then you put some money's going to here. You got to get money to go back to your agent. You want to buy your mama a car. You want to buy the big flashy house. And then after we start deducting all the numbers, they're like, 
well, I have no money left. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's the point I'm making. You got to be smart about this. And so often it's more money than they've ever seen in their entire lives. And, and that go-to is, I got to get the house. I got to get the car. I need me the some cars, Iversons. Yeah, <laughs> I need the big diamonds. Yeah. And and I'm calling them Iversons because, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> the big diamonds have to be there. And, and that's just not, I mean, it's fun, but it's not smart. It's not practical. And one of the best stories I heard was, was a, a really good friend of, of, um, of our families was um, a, he was an NFL um, player and he, his signing bonus, he said, you know what? I don't know how long this is going to last. So he bought a sensible house. And when I say sensible, it probably was like a $80,000 townhome. He bought a sensible car, which probably, I think he probably spent about 40 on his car. And he said, I'm going to save money. I'm going to save my checks. And I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to go flashy. When he signed his next contract, he bought the bigger house in the nice swanky neighborhood and got another car. But he was so smart about that initial because he was like, I don't know how long I have. And, and I think with all of this, it's, you got to look at it long-term yeah. and say the re and, and, and I, you know, I, we all think we're invincible that we're going to, that we're going to last forever and everything is going to go smoothly. And the reality is it may not. Um, I've had friends who they were only in the league for a year. Um, so you just don't know. Yeah. And so you take, take that money and just be smart with it. It's, it's not going to be there all the time. And when you have this platform, use it to be able to set yourself up for the rest of your life and to be able to, to draw from that, that equity and value that you built while you're playing so that it can take you into retirement and beyond. And, and I think that's probably the best advice I can give from a financial perspective. And, and I'm not a CPA, that's my disclaimer, but it's, you know, just being smart and, and not overextending yourself. And, and I always laugh, it's like credit is so important until it's not. And then you are like, ah, credit's not that important. And then you realize, oh, credit's very important. And, yeah. and those are the kinds of decisions you need to make to, to make sure that you can prolong the opportunities that are coming to you. Um, and then you, you had me thinking about something with regards to the endorsements and even strategies that, that I, I started to think about. So often people were saying, oh, I got to go for the big deal. Um, think local, because a lot of local companies could really use help. And so by partnering with these athletes within those markets that they're in, there's so many opportunities to, they may not be the big, large contracts, but these are contracts that are going to be really good, valuable relationships for the athlete. And really, that's what branding is about. It's about relationships. Mm -hmm. And so who knows you and who you know, really. Those two big things are, are, are critical to branding. And so once you're able to keep, like just build those relationships and, and increase that network of, of making sure that people understand just what you stand for. And, and when you have that platform, companies want to partner with you. And, and so I always look and say, okay, oh, well, this athlete got another endorsement deal. Oh, that makes sense. 
I'm like, take the money as long as you can keep getting it. If it is the right fit. And I can't stress that enough that the fit has to be there. And, and so when the opportunities come, if it feels right, take the opportunity because they'll eventually stop. And, and you want to make sure that you're building that nest egg to help prolong or at least get you to the next stage of what you want to do for the next career. No, thank you so much. I think um, as athletes, you mentioned, you know, using your platform, you know, building the equity value that you have. Um, and it leads me to my next segue. Um, obviously, you're a teacher, you're a professor, um, educator, lawyer, doctor, <laughs> um, <laughs> clinical don't researcher. don't know how to tap dance. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The author, like the list goes on and on. But now today, you're seeing athletes trying to give back that their experience and their expertise, um, you know, whether it's, you know, for a new career, um, to make um, their presence felt within the community or even yeah. like another monetary vehicle. How can athletes become like these adjunct professors and teachers and guest lecturers, speakers that you see athletes starting to follow that trend? So, and this is going to sound so simple. All you need to do is just reach out to a professor and say, I would love to guest lecture for your class. Here's what I can talk about. Here are the that simple, huh? It's just that simple. Okay, let me write this down. I've been trying to <laughs> but this but down. let them know. It's like so reach out to a professor that isn't is in an area that you're interested in and that your expertise will help add to their current curriculum of what they're doing in the class. So for example, knowing that you have this platform on finance, when I was teaching my budget and finance course. I'm moving all over, like, I'm moving, you need to come and talk to my finance class about what you do. But it was just a logical connection. And so take a sport management program, for example, and look at the curriculum that's being offered. And if there's something that you feel that you can add to the conversation, email the professor, say, here's my resume. These are the areas that I'm interested in. Can I guest lecture for one of your classes? Yeah. Just that simple. We love guest lecturers. It takes so, but you know, you guys are doing so much already. Yes, but it adds value to That's the degree true. and to our classrooms. And so by just saying, can I? It's like, yeah, when do you want to talk? And, <laughs> and I would start early. Like if you know that, let's say I, I see you teach this class in every fall semester or, you know, when do you teach the class? Next time you offer it, can I guest lecture? And they're like, oh, well, I won't teach it again until the spring. So then I would put an alert on your calendar. And so fall semester just ended. Let me, or fall semester is about midway through. Let me email this faculty member as they start to think about the syllabus for the spring or that next upcoming semester. And can I get in there to be able to do a guest lecture? Okay. So then what happens pay is- for guest lecturing or no? You said what? You can get paid for guest lecturing? <laughs> That might have been a disrespectful question. I didn't know, you know, I'm trying to help athletes. So it, it depends. Like okay. there, there are some programs that may have a little bit of money to compensate you. But nine times out of 10, in the beginning, you may be doing it pro bono or for free. Um, that's a good but, point, though, because athletes need to understand that yeah. sometimes you have to plant the seed. 
Right. Because, and so what I was going to lead to after that, and I tell this to people who just want to get into academia, who want to teach classes that build your portfolio with guest lectures. And, and academia is different. I mean, you might get paid to go and speak to a corporation, you know, real quick, drop it a hat. But in an educational environment, you, like you said, you're going to have, you may have to sow the seed. And so there may be multiple guest lectures you do and you build your CV and then they're like, well, hey, would you be interested in teaching a class? So of course, if you're going to teach a whole class, you're going to get paid for it. Yeah. And, and so, but it's, you got to create that foundation. So the same way the athlete invested in being phenomenal in their sport, if they want to make the transition to education, they have to invest in becoming that educator and, and being able to lend that voice within that context. And, and of course, there's always the exception. There's always one person said, yeah, I got paid out the gate. It's like, yeah, there's always an exception. Always an exception. Um, yeah, there always is. And, but, you know, just understand that in the beginning, not everything may be, is going to be paid. And, and you may have to invest just a little bit in order to get to where you want and, and to transition into being the professor. Oh, that's great advice. <laughs> I've been looking at some athletes are doing a great job. Oh, yeah. how do they do that? I've been trying yeah. to reach out. I was like, so um, it's great advice. But um, before I let you go, thank you so much for, for all the gems that you provided. Um, yeah, this podcast, I, I, I feel like this podcast could be a webinar, could be a virtual workshop. Uh, we're definitely going to have to have you back on, but before I let you go, what's the one piece of advice, you know, that you have for any athlete or anyone trying to get into sports business, um, just general piece of advice, book recommendation, all that. Um, I think really just, um, find the thing that distinguishes you from everyone else. And it could be your passion for giving back to the community. It could be. Just, I mean, who knows what that is, but find that thing that makes you unique and then build upon that. And, you know, I think that's probably the best advice I can give. And I always talk, and I've repeated the word being authentic in everything you do. And, and so I think as long as athletes do that, um, everything will come to them the, the way they hope, but that that authentic aspect of your true self is is something I live by, and and I think it it continues to allow me to create opportunities, and I mean what you see is what you get that kind of thing, and and it's not a situation where um, if I'm in a different context you're going to get a different version of myself. Yeah. It's it's always consistent, and so with regards to athletes, that consistency. And the authenticity is so important to, to branding and even just careers in and of itself. And so I think as long as people follow those types of things or guidelines for just pursuing anything in life, I think they'll find success with it. No, that's what it's all about. And then where can people find you? Uh, <laughs> if you want to connect with you, you know, uh, learn a lot more than what you provided yeah. here. So, <laughs> so I'm on, I'm on all of the platforms, uh, fortunately and unfortunately. So I'm, I'm old school. I love Facebook. Um, it's probably <laughs> the one I use the most. I, I do have a Twitter handle. So it's just at in Bryson. 
Um, I'm also on Instagram, but please go. I mean, I, I think I got five pictures. <laughs> It's a, it's a great point that you said, you know, because there's a platform for everybody and there a specific is. platform that you connect with more. And I think it's yeah. important that yeah. just because you're on all of them doesn't mean you have to spread your wealth right. to all of them. So, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out the TikTok and why it's so popular. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they're able to edit these videos. It's unbelievable. Oh, and, and of course, my legal hat comes on like, come on, you got music. And <laughs> And I'm like, that's a whole nother conversation we can have yeah. because I, I also worked as an entertainment attorney in another life. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, a, that's actually, point, that's a good point too. See, I don't, I don't, I don't even want this podcast to end. I just want to be respected every time. But so athletes yeah. that use like workout videos and they have the music over them, what can they, what can they do and what can't they do? Oh gosh. <laughs> well, any music you're using for a commercial purpose has to be licensed. I mean, you have to pay for it. So there so is are there like a platform for that, or you just have to like pay for the song. And then once you pay for the song, you can put on your video. There are services that will allow you to license music. And so I think that's what I would recommend to, to make sure that you find one of those. And, and there's all sorts of things. It doesn't have to be, you know, the top forties, you can find just music that um, artists are doing and there are unsigned artists that are just trying to make a living. Yeah. And they'll make, um, I'm just going to say it like this, they'll make beats available. <laughs> yeah. And and so, um, and you'll get a license to use the music in your in your videos or whatever thing you're using the music for to accompany. Um, and it's usually not that expensive. But of course, if you want, you know, top artists, yeah. like, like a, Amigos or something like that, you're going to pay for it. <laughs> The audience is already asking me. I haven't even they haven't even published this podcast, and they're already asking me. They want a music licensing workshop from you, and then definitely a breakdown of something you spoke about earlier, um, the FTC requirements. So oh. I hope you know that well. <laughs> well, I'd love to be back. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this podcast episode. For more information, check out the show notes and go to our website, www.afrugalathlete.com. If you enjoyed, please leave a favorable rating and review and share and subscribe. Thank you so much.